I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome on back to Made for March, wrapping up the week here on this Thursday episode, recording on February 18th, a Thursday after a lighter week of college basketball games, at least. But Ty, there's a lot of buzz this week around the Player of the Year race. I think we have to start right there. It may be snowing around the country, but the Player of the Year race, Tim, (laughs) it's heating up right now. It sure is. It's it's really become a two-man race here, and, and... for those that maybe are jumping in late to the season, they waited until NFL football was over, college football was over. First off, welcome and subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy College Hoops, where we're going to be giving you two podcasts a week and you're ready for March Madness and all that and and having some fun along the way. But also, it's it's been a, a clear-cut winner all year long. Like We've been doing the Baconator Bachelor, which we're going to do here in a sec, where we chop off a couple guys, Bachelor-style from the Wooden Award watch list. And the whole time we've been like, yeah, but Luca Garza is going to win. Luca Garza is going to win. And now all of a sudden, in the past couple weeks, there has been a lot of Io DeSumo talk around the media. And I think it's just, it's kind of like left the station at this point. And now it is firmly a two man race, Have which is, is kind of crazy. Have we seen one two gap disappear across I think the so. board in college basketball? That was our joke early on, is that. There was a monster gap between Gonzaga and whoever was second. Obviously, Baylor has closed that gap significantly to the point where I think both you and I are in agreement. If both teams run the table and win their respective conference tournaments, Baylor is probably going to be the number one overall seed. Meanwhile, yeah. on the flip well, side... Well, Gonzaga might not be playing. And right. Yes, <laughs> but exactly. I, I we'll get to that later. But I think also... as. Uh, as another part of that is Luca Garza's stranglehold has definitely evaporated right now to the point where some people think it is Io DeSumo. So the one-two gap, it has died. The, the second football ended, the one-to-two gap died. That's true. Maybe there's something to it because it really is amazing that Tom Brady, number 12, one-two. There, 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 there's your little Man. parallel. That's what killed it. Tom Brady killed that college is... basketball dominance. You might be onto something there, but... Honestly, okay, let's start with your thoughts here, because I'm still, if I could vote on the National Player of the Year award, I'd still be voting Luca Garza today, and I think it's a little overblown that we've gotten to this point, but I know you're a big Io guy, as am I. I mean, who doesn't love Io DeSumo and and what he does at the end of games, and we, I like Illinois as a team a lot better than Iowa, and I've kind of been on Illinois more this year as a positive, although I... I lost faith in them a couple separate times. But in general, preseason, we liked Illinois a lot. Preseason, we didn't like Iowa. I think we still worry about Iowa's defense as a team. But just player of the year race, if you had to pick one right now, who's your pick? So here's the the dangerous part of people that are jumping in right now, is that there's your box score player of the year, and I think it's Luca Garza, no doubt. His stats are fantastic across the board. But when you get into actually watching the games, like think about with the Heisman Trophy, right? We always talk about the quote-unquote Heisman moments. Io has Luka beat across the board on quote-unquote Heisman moments. He has hit big shot after big shot. Illinois leans on him down the stretch time and time again. And he has bailed them out of trouble in a lot of games where they have really needed him to claw them out in, in the late stages of games. So I started to think about it, and this past week with the Northwestern game, sure, you probably shouldn't be playing close games with Northwestern and and with with, uh, Nebraska, but the way that Io has just pulled this team, put them on his back when they need it, hits these big clutch shots, you can make montages of it. I don't know if you could do that with Luca Garza. Everything needs context to it, right? And I think the context and the, the the eye test player of the year is actually no doubt Io DeSumo. So, so who's your pick? My Io pick is Io. Now? Yeah, because I, I like to trust what my eyes tell me as opposed to what I'm reading in the newspaper. I 
I, I don't know if I'm all the way there on the eye test thing. I think you bring up some really good points. The case for Io there, you're spot on. It's the Heisman moments thing. It's the fact that he's a closer. But just in terms of who has had a better season, objectively, I don't think you can really argue that Luca Garza hasn't had the best season in college basketball this year. Like, as an entire season body of work. Because if you really crunch the numbers, and I know what you're saying is is it's eye test, but if you play devil's advocate and crunch the numbers, you kind of have to vote Luca Garza if you're a numbers guy. Because he's averaging three more points per game. He's shooting better from the floor. He's shooting better from three, even though they basically attempted the same amount of three-point shots. He's 43%. Io's 42%. So it's splitting hairs. I mean, it's very close. But he's playing less minutes, and he's still scoring three more points per game. He's got a better offensive rating on Ken Palm. He's got a 126 offensive rating. Io's 114 He's leading the Ken Palm Player of the Year race. Io was actually fourth in the race, according to Ken Palm. And he's just had less off nights. Like, Luca Garza has been phenomenal from start to finish all year long. I think the two cases for Io is, one, he's a little got a little bit more signature moments to him this year, the Heisman moment stuff you said. And the second thing is, Illinois as a team right now maybe has a little bit more potential that was going a, deeper That's what I was going to say is... For for everyone who's the numbers guy out there, my number for you is two. Illinois has two more wins than Iowa does, including the head-to-head win. And, and Iowa is a, a big part of why this team is 11-3 and right now. They had the little hiccup in the middle of the season against Ohio State and against Maryland. And, and obviously, the Ohio State loss doesn't look like anything now. I mean, you, you'll, Ohio State, if that's your one of your bad losses this year... I mean, really, oh, Illinois has one... And I don't even know if you can call it a quote-unquote bad loss this year. And it's that game against Maryland, a game that they probably should have had. But you look at the the margin of victory too in, in ACC or in a Big Ten play. The the loss to Ohio State was six. Maryland was three. Rutgers was three. Even if you you stretch out of that, Missouri was three. Baylor was thirteen. All right. So, but Baylor also is just head and shoulders above everyone else, not named Gonzaga right now. So I think the fact that, yes, does Luca maybe mean more to his team? Sure. But I just think that what Io is doing, the, the numbers that he's putting, because he's putting it up across the board too. He's scoring, he's rebounding, and he's facilitating for his team. Luca's scoring and rebounding for his team. And I, I just, I find what Io is doing and, and it's leading to more wins is more impressive right now than what Luca is doing out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't really expect a big guy to be passing a ton the way that he is. But you also shouldn't be basketball. expecting a, a guard to be rebounding a ton. And, and what Io has? How many rebounds per game? I don't have his full numbers. I think in front it's six of me. a game. Yeah, it's like yeah. six or seven a game, and and that's something that's going above and beyond, really. And I think right. that's he also part has three and a half turnovers a game, or three point two turnovers per game. Um, and like the other night, he hits those big shots at the end, but. You watch most of that game, and it's it's just puzzling because for the last two minutes, he looks like the player of the year winner, but for the first 38 minutes of that game, it's like I'm sitting there watching it thinking, why was everyone saying that he's better than Luka Garza or he's going to win this award? And I get that it's a big deal to hit those shots at the end, but he finishes with 13 points, five turnovers, five assists against a bad Northwestern team at home, and they almost lose the game just as they almost lost to Nebraska. Now, he was tremendous in the Nebraska game. He was also tremendous the game before that when they lost. So he's been playing better of late, but it's almost like as a country, people have just cooled off on Luca Garza, and they're just wonder. They're looking for storylines, and they're thinking, what's the up-and-coming thing right now? Because Luca, it's like he peaked early, honestly. And I don't really think he's he's even played worse of late. I know he had eight points against Michigan State, but that was just because of the context of the game where they blew him out. Right. And mm-hmm. That was the first time he failed to get to double figures in a long time. I, I Where I stand right now is I think Luca will win the award because as much as this is a cool storyline, it's become more of a talking point than I ever would have guessed. And I still think there's a case for Iowa. I don't think it's outrageous that he... Ha- like I think he has a shot, more of a shot than anyone I ever thought would this year. But it's also a little bit of recency bias influence it, I I think, a little bit. But that's the thing, too, is recency bias is sort of what this award has to it as well. I mean, and winning is such a big part of it, too. I, I think that's part of the 
Well, the formula, why should there be recency bias? And I, I just think it's the because whole in the beginning of the season. season. I mean, if you're scoring 41 points on Southern Illinois, congrats. Like, what you want a ribbon? You want a sticker? If you're scoring 35 on Western Illinois, congrats. And then you go up against UNC and you have 16. So it's like, yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but he I, does it against good teams. No, it's he does like do it against good teams. Yeah. But it, the 41 and the 35 are also heavily skewed. Like once he got in, I'm not saying he's having a bad year, obviously. But I find what Io is doing is much more impressive because it's leading to wins. And this is an award that does value wins. It largely, I mean, you we've rattled it off. You can't find a, a team since 2013 who's been outside of 4C that's had the Naismith Player of the Year. And right now, I don't see Iowa being a top three seed. And I think Illinois is a semi-lock to be a top three seed. Iowa, I mean, they were projected thir- they they were put thirteenth in the bracket reveal thing, so that's a high end three seed, and they're fourth on Kempon. Like, like I I know we're down on them, but they're playing. But we know about that it gets tough for them going into the year. The, the rest of the way, it's not easy for Iowa. Like you watch these final five games when they go two and three, that that's when okay, you might start to have some questions about what is what sort of seat because if they're two and three the rest of the way in Big Ten play. And I don't think they're going yeah. to win the Big Ten tournament. There's just way too many obstacles ahead of them. So all that taken into account, and, and we have seen the, the bad losses too. I mean, the, the losing twice to Indiana should not happen to this Iowa team. And that's an indictment on the defense that they've played. I just think it, it can become a team award when there's a large gap between guys. But... Like I, Illinois has got a tough finishing stretch here too. They've got four games on the road to finish. We'll see how it ends up. But right now, Iowa is three spots above Illinois on Kempom. I, I think Illinois is a better team. Don't yeah, get me wrong. This isn't a Kempom award. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. Look, look at the polls. The polls tell you a much different story. They, they obviously favor Illinois, and I think Illinois has been the better and more consistent team all year long. No, they have. But to me, it's just not. A st- like if we would have asked this question who's the better team three weeks ago it would have been Iowa so it's not a huge gap in that it's not a big enough gap that I think it justifies putting someone as a tiebreaker because like Iowa is still probably going to be a top three seed they're playing in a great conference and Garza I mean his team this year is a lot better than he was last year and a lot of people thought he should have won the award over Obi Toppin last year he didn't according to some of the awards that came out but if you want to make the case, like, how is his season compared to last year when he was a very, very good runner-up of the award? He's better in all statistical categories. He's, he's leading the country in scoring. It's phenomenal what he's done all year. And I think we just maybe have sort of gone cold on him because he did so much of it so consistently. And it's not flashy. He's a big guy that's just getting rebounds and putting back easy two-point shots, and he's just bigger and taller than everyone else, it feels like, a little bit. Io's a lot more fun to watch, but if you take that away from it, I do think that Garza has just been more efficient. He's been better statistically, and the gap between his team and Illinois is not that big of a difference to me. I don't know. I think the gap is very significant. I really think there is a large gap, especially two games in the Big Ten, and the wins that Illinois has this year. I mean, we've talked about it on this show. The best win that that Iowa has is against uh, against Rutgers. You beat Rutgers twice. Meanwhile, Illinois, I mean, you look at some of the wins that the Illini have pulled off here. First of all, you've won the head-to-head against Iowa. You, you've beaten Indiana. And it's just the, the wins that I've seen this Illinois team pull off this year, it just has been way more impressive than what I've seen right, out, but out of Iowa. I guess I just, where I push back is, if your case for the player is so team oriented, then because it's is Io's that right? play that's leading to the wins. That that's the thing is I think you look at he a number of these Kofi. games. I mean, he has Kofi, Iowa yes. has no, no one I, else. I, really. No, like, I, I totally get that. He has Kofi, but the thing about Illinois, and this is where the context and watching the games come in, there are so many points in games where Kofi Coburn goes silent. He just does not touch the ball, and that's because Io is really pulling his way, and I think that's really helped build his case for being the best player in the country this year yeah it's it's fun that it's a talking point i mean yeah, i'm, not, I'm like, glad this isn't totally... something that's dead Sa- same thing with right. the, the gonzaga baylor i'm glad i'm glad it's alive yeah 
And and I like largely agree with a lot of things you're saying. I, I really don't think Iowa is going to make it very far in the tournament. And I think they're completely overrated for that four rating in Ken Palm. It's just, it, it's hard for me to give so much credence to like the team thing as the tiebreaker. But I mean, I, I can see why you're there. And, and honestly, like if Iowa DeSumo wins the award, I think it's totally fine. I wouldn't say it's a total travesty if it happens at this point and they kind of both just play out the rest of the season like they're supposed to, and there's not a staggering difference in how they play the rest of the year, then if Io wins, he wins. And and I think he's a very well-deserved national player of the year. I, I still think that the media is probably going to vote for Garza, though. Yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting. I think the, the last five or so games that each team has, plus whatever you get in the Big Ten tournament, that I, I feel like it'll work itself out. There will be a yeah. clear-cut winner. Once we finish the Big Ten tournament, like if Illinois goes on to win the Big Ten tournament, I and, and Iowa is not the team that they face in the championship game, who I don't think it will be, then I don't think there's a world where Iowa doesn't win it. All right, so Baconator Bachelor. Now we've been doing this every single week, cutting down guys. There was the original top twenty-five wooden list that came out in early January. Then they cut their list to twenty. I think we were at about fifteen at that point. So. We've added some players back. We've, we've been doing it all season long. We're down to 12 players right now. I'll read them off real quick. It's Jared Butler Baylor, who, like, I, I know we said this last it podcast, sucks. but. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. If, they, if they're he not would on be pause, in this conversation, he's in this maybe. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which and honestly, is a shame, may have so. the strongest case because his team is undefeated in the conference that you and yeah. I have believed is the best in college basketball, even though there's a lot of hype around the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, so Jared Butler Baylor is still on our list. Justin Champagny Pittsburgh is on our list. Kate Cunningham Oklahoma State. Hunter Dickinson we added after he was not on the original top twenty-five. I think he was added to the top twenty. Wooden list. Obviously plays for Michigan. Iodasuma who we just mentioned. Luca Garza. Those are the two front runners right now. Quentin Grimes Houston still on our list. Trace Jackson Davis Indiana. Corey Kispert Gonzaga. Evan Mobley who nearly had a triple double the other night for USC and a win over Arizona State. Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, the other Gonzaga guys, and then Sharif Cooper, Auburn. Who do you think? I think I said we cut three guys to get it down to nine this week. Who? Yeah, let's who do you think's kind of on the chopping here. block? I would say, I mean, Sharif Cooper, as fun as he is to watch, and even though yeah. well, we added him like a couple weeks ago to the list, um, I think he's one that we can cut now. The the Sharif Cooper, he listen, he's still fun to watch, but he's definitely cooled off a little bit since he burst onto the scene, and also. You got to take into account this with Cooper is that he it's just like like he's not going to win the award. He there's just yeah. not enough games for him to play to to win an award like this. So I think it, it's pretty safe now that we can cut a guy like Sharif Cooper. Yeah, it seems like teams have been really selling out on him and they kind of blew a game against Kentucky last week. He's still putting up numbers, but he's been turning it over a lot and hasn't quite made as much of an impact on the game, which uh, admittedly it was it was only going to go down the way he that he started. But yeah, he he doesn't he has no shot of winning the award, even though he's been a very nice, fun subplot to the college basketball season. I'd say Justin Champagny, we could probably also nix at this point. I mean, he feels like he's just a step below some of these other guys because we're getting to a point now where. There's a lot, like, all these guys that are left, I could see on a first-team All-America team. Right. Except for Champagny and Cooper. I think that's kind of how we got to view this. And I think like, we also got to look at it this way, too. I, I know we we had a, a little bit of a bicker there in terms of how much a team matters, but in terms of the, the list as a composite, like, you're not going to see a guy from Pitt win it. Yeah. Like, right. you're not going to see no a guy shot. with a team as poor as Auburn win it and that's something i mean you look at the remaining names that we've got here it's illinois it's michigan it's iowa baylor gonzaga usc and the last name that i want to cut here is trace jackson davis because one of these things is yeah. not like the other and it's indiana indiana is not like the rest of these teams that, that you're hearing so even though tjd has had a great season and he's going to be an all big 10 first teamer but he is also kind of one of those guys who has cooled off. I feel like his season has sort of followed the same trajectory as Champagny, where he comes out bursting onto the scene, a couple of these really yeah. big double-double sort of games, and now it's sort of dropped off a little bit when the games start to mean a little bit more. Uh, we don't have to do this, but 
should we add James Booknight after coming back and, that, and just you see because that of dunk? that dunk? I mean, oh my, yeah, <laughs> oh me, oh my, uh, that that I, was. It's a shame. Yeah, I don't it's think a shame we should, we've been robbed but, of him. But I feel like right. that, seeing that dunk justified us putting him on the tray trackers. I mean, th- that yeah. was everything that we asked for right there. It was the yeah, big dunk, so good. the big moment, and then they go out, pick, pick up the big win against Providence. And it seems like UConn's going to play their way inside the bubble with him, but I'm glad because he should be in the NCAA tournament, and UConn is legit probably a top 25 team when he's healthy. So yep. if if he if he stays healthy, then they're going to be one of those teams that might be like a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament, but will be definitely on a lot of people's eyes to, to pick an upset in the first, second round or go on a little bit of a run because he just has that appeal as, as a guy that could carry a team as well. So, yeah, I, I don't think we need to add him because he hasn't played enough games. Same type of logic, but uh, I'm good with that. I think we'll cut Champagny, Trace Jackson Davis, Sharif Cooper. So that leaves Quentin Grimes, Luca Garza, Io DeSumo, Hunter Dickinson, Cade Cunningham, Corey Kispert, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy. I think that is the best nine players in the country right yeah. now. I mean, no, I, I don't think we, the, I've got any qualms with that. I mean, I don't know who right. we would revive off of the the list of guys that we've knocked off so far. And I guess you could say, who is the one non-elite team there? And it's Cade Cunningham. And guess what? He's going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. So yeah. he definitely deserves to be on this list. And the fact that he has pulled that Oklahoma State team along and hopefully this investigation holds off so we can see him in March Madness. Because Oklahoma State, they've been in and out of the top 25. Right now, I think they're that first team out there, team number 26 in terms of receiving votes. I hope we get to see him deep into this season. For sure. So that means no ACC guys left, no Big East guys left. It, it really just kind of gives you a good snapshot of the season because you got a couple Big 12, Caden and Jared Butler, and then a lot of Big Ten in here. Ton of WCC, Garza. too. I mean. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I wonder who's going to win West Coast Conference Player of the I Year. I actually saw it. So Myron Medcalf put out a, a piece on ESPN earlier this week, and it was who is the, the Conference Player of the Year in each conference. And I was like, I wonder who, what he thinks is the right. one, too, there. And I believe he went Kispert, then Timmy. Maybe it was Timmy okay. Kisper. I can't remember exactly, but Suggs in the in the blurb for who was the the runner up. It says this easily could be Jalen Suggs as well, um, but I think he gave it to Kisper, and, and it makes sense. Like give it to the senior guy. Like that that's just yeah. how this stuff works. Who do you say for ACC? Do you remember ACC? You uh, was Carleek Jones. Oh, okay, and, and yeah. guess who was second? I I want you to guess this runner up, and I can't wait to hear your groan. Oh, God, don't tell me it was Matt Hurt. You are correct. Oh, no. I mean, there's Why? like two or three other guys I would put ahead of Matthew Hurt. Yeah. I mean, it's a bad conference this year, but Sam Hauser, even like any of the Virginia guys. How about Jay Hawk? I'd rather see yeah. Scotty Barnes. I know he's. Champagny? Yeah. Yes. Uh, seriously. Or uh, how right. about MJ Walker, too? I mean, all yeah. those guys are having great years on good teams. And then I, I get the conferences down, but come on. It's not that down. There's still some very good players in the conference. Right. Yeah, that that's puzzling to me. I wonder I guess Big East player of the year front runners right now would probably be the Villanova guys. Maybe yeah, it Gillespie was or Gillespie Jerry. was number 1. I and then uh Sandro Mamakushvili oh, yeah. from from Seton mm-hmm. Hall was number 2. Um I was See, like Booknight would have won that award. I yeah. think mm-hmm. if he and Zegarowski, and Zegarowski too, would have won it if they yeah. hadn't gone on pauses. So, right. Yeah. Zegarowski had a, had an awesome game last week. I think we shouted him out yeah. on the podcast last week. All right, let's get into our one and dones. One and done. Oh my guys. Obviously we have one in our conference it has a doctorate degree in one and dones, right? <laughs> Do you want to kick us off here? I've got three one and done. So, uh, not a ton this week, but uh, you kick us off. Yeah, I've got three and a fourth popped into my head, so I'll start with that fourth one. How about the Duke Blue Devils? I know that they, it was Wake Forest, who cares, but they crushed them. And this was one of the <laughs> most predictable wins of all time. You know, Jalen Johnson. <laughs> exactly. Jalen Johnson turns the back on the program, all right? He backstabs the brotherhood, and he says, I'm going pro. 
And I mean, if he's walking into a locker room and telling everyone like, Hey guys, like I could hang around. I could sit on the bench with you guys, but I'm just, I'm going to go to the league. If he's cleaning out his locker to that degree, that's sort of an F you to the team. And you knew that they were going to come out of that game and put the F you to Jalen Johnson and show how much better they were out there. And the best part about it too, is that remember last on the last show when we were talking about Jalen Johnson and I mentioned how there's like five other Jalen Johnsons out there in college basketball. I feel like one of them being on Wake Forest helped. It was one of those things where you could literally see him, Johnson, yeah. on the back. You hear the PA <laughs> he was there guy saying Johnson. Yeah. He was there in spirit, and he was essentially there in being as well. It, it was one of those things where it just felt like that was that extra punching motivation was to see that other Jalen Johnson on the other side for Wake Forest. And that is why you saw the Duke Blue Devils go out, lay the hammer down on Wake Forest, good on Duke. Uh, I, I loved every bit of that game and seeing them just kind of give Jalen Johnson the middle finger. And then Jalen Johnson of Wake Forest is like, God, like, what did I do? Like, I, I had nothing here. I'm just, I just have the same name. It's like the the same guys who, whenever there's like someone who's well hated across sports right. or entertainment or whatever, and then you, you find the guy, it's like on Twitter and everyone starts tagging the wrong guy. Um, like I <laughs> yeah. remember Steve Cohen, when, when, the Met, new Mets owner, when there was a big stir about what he was doing when the whole GameStop and Bitcoin stuff was going on, and everyone was tweeting at the wrong Steve Cohen, and he's just like, "Guys, I, like, I, it's not me. <laughs> like, sorry, I can't, I can't help you out here." Or like Stephen A. Smith, he tweeted at the wrong guy too the other day too, um, and that was one of like the Hall of Fame Stephen A. Smith moments. But that, that's where I'm going to start things off. Duke Blue Devils getting getting their revenge on Jalen Johnson yeah. and, and more Johnsons than one. They've got Virginia on Saturday, and I don't know. I, I Part of me thought about making that my upset pick because it's just like maybe they found something when it doesn't matter and they're just going to start winning. I mean, they had a, they've had back-to-back really good games now, but it's been against NC State and Wake, so I guess there's not a ton to take from that. That's just kind of beating up on the lower tier of the ACC, which they're still pretty much a lower tier ACC team at this point. Uh, my first one... Just shout out to the Must Bus in Arkansas and yeah. what they're doing. I, you know, they they lose to Alabama on January sixteenth, and lose is putting it mildly. They got torched ninety to fifty nine. Right mm-hmm. at that point, they had lost four of five. They're basically a bubble team on January sixteenth. They fall to forty three on Ken Palm. Since then, they've won seven of eight, seven straight in SEC play. They go on the road, beat Mizzou, who was down Tillman, but still a big win over Mizzou on Saturday last week. Musbus takes off his shirt and goes into the celebration. Went viral because he doesn't have a shirt on. Oh, he's back. Exactly. And and then they beat Florida at home this week, 75-64. So they've won 7 of 8. Their only loss was that Oklahoma State game in the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge. And they're kind of rolling right now. I, I don't really... Again, I, I'm still get my sort of senses up with these SEC teams because I worry that the SEC might just stink and the ACC might just stink this year and it's kind of misleading. And I think that's going to play into some of my March Madness picks a little bit. But shout out to them. The other thing I want to bring up, just looking at it now, Mizzou is 51 on Ken Palm. I think that is the largest... I, yes. Like, I was it, just, it's well, crazy. That's my next one and done. I was going to keep it in the SEC here and bring up the Mizzou Tigers because they have now dropped three straight, including to the aforementioned Arkansas must bus. And we talked about so much in the beginning of the season, how much minutes continuity and experience matters. But guess what, Tim? It's February now and the freshmen are becoming sophomores and the, the playing field is leveling out now. So now that you're in an SEC where there are a lot of one and dones, I mean, you look at Tennessee, you look at Kentucky, there are a lot of those sort of players in the conference. And now you're starting to see Mizzou, the experience doesn't necessarily mean as much now that you're getting into the February months and the freshmen have sort of figured out how to act like college basketball players and the sophomores are getting a year older. I mean, the sophomores are juniors now, the old Coach Cal saying, so Mizzou, Hitting a little bit of a rough patch here. I mean, you shouldn't be losing to by 10 points to Georgia. No. You, sh- you just can't. I know they've got KD, 
KD Johnson, but you can't be losing to to Georgia by by these large margins. Yeah, they. I will say they, like I said about the Arkansas game, they've been without Jeremiah Tillman the last two games, but they had him against Ole Miss and they lost by, I think it was eighty to fifty something in that game against Ole Miss. Yeah, eighty to fifty nine. Yeah, like that they had him for that game and they still got boat raced by a bad team. So a little concerning. I have always, I mean, they were sixteen in the bracket reveal. I think they're definitely not sixteen anymore, but they'll still make the tournament. I would say and. Unless they totally, they've got the resume. South Carolina, they've got yeah. a, a great resume. So, right, but fifty-one on Kempom, that is a, a steep drop, and Kempom's always been kind of low on him, on them throughout the season. One thing I wanted to bring up on Ron Harper Jr. real quick, just looking at some of his numbers, and he was obviously a Baconator Bachelor guy for a good chunk of this season. I think he made it to maybe. You know, the first couple episodes, I'd say mm-hmm. he made it through. 15, 16 guys left is right around when we cut him. But I think going back the last five games, now they might have played since I calculated these numbers earlier in the week, but I didn't get a chance to mention in the last podcast, so I'll just shout it out here. And they are playing tonight against Michigan, so we'll see how he does tonight. But last five games, he has not made a three, and he's five for his last 43 from three-point range. He was... So around 50% to begin the year. Yeah, like he was hitting everything. And I think it just shows you that maybe he he's probably somewhere in between that. I think he'll get it together. I, I think Rutgers will be fine. But that's kind of crazy, the, the huge drop-off in his numbers. And it's not like they came off a pause or anything to my memory. So, uh, yeah, just interesting that he slumped so much. Rutgers, I think, will be fine. And I think we still both like them as kind of a pesky tournament team. But they really need him to get it back in gear if they want to go deep in the tournament. Yeah, that's a good one right there. Speaking of tournaments, let's talk about the WCC tournament here because there's a lot to make out of all of this. I know a lot of people, especially on the bubble, are very, very incensed about what might be happening. So to get everyone up to speed, out in the WCC, the Great West Coast Conference, Gonzaga and BYU, two teams that are, well, Gonzaga definitely a lock and BYU pretty comfortably in as at-large teams, are both pondering pulling out of the WCC tournament, which would open up the conference auto bid for the conference. Now, that that would really dice things up because the WCC is not a three-bid league. They, they should get two, and... While a lot of people are upset, I kind of love it. And here's why. <laughs> they are going for the West Coast battle of supremacy between them and the Pac-12. They are trying to get more tourney teams in than the Pac-12 this year. And they may come close to succeeding if they get three in. Now, you're going to have to go through a couple of other hurdles and all that other stuff with the the bracketology. I don't know what or what what um what's his name? What Joe Lenardi has right now as the um bracketology for for the Pac-12, but I I sneaky love this move. This is a very petty move by the WCC trying to stick it to the Power 5. The Power 5 is probably going to get its way. I mean, I'd imagine the tournament committee will say no. Gonzaga is your auto bid. We don't care if you play your conference tournament or not. But I, I sneak. Yeah, I wonder find how this, that's gonna work. It, it it's gonna be uh it has major vibes of the Wall Street versus the the Redditors, doesn't it? Th- this yeah. is kind of what, what it reminds me of right here. And, and Wall Street. So you're bets, saying the big yeah. guy will win out, maybe. The big is, guy will probably win out. GameStop stock is gonna plummet back to the twenty dollars it was once at. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm. I'm hopeful that the little guy wins out here. I'd love to see uh, some of these Big Ten teams that that maybe don't deserve it, or these ACC teams that don't deserve it. But yeah, no, I'm I'm a uh, I'm back to to being in the West Coast corner here for for something like this. Like, can it's you imagine if because... North Carolina got bumped because of this? No, I I mean that would be terrible. I think if anything, <laughs> they'll just cancel the tournament. Right? Like, it can't come to this. This is just too blatantly, like, manipulating to actually allow it, I feel like. Now, I do think, are some teams going to opt out of their conference tournaments? Probably, right? Because you got to test positive for seven straight days. Like, Gonzaga, 
it makes sense for them not to play their conference tournament. And I know some people would say, well, then they're rusty, but it's a different type of rust because you can still practice. And also, like, they're going to get an easy first game of yeah, the tournament. Like, they're going to play the worst rusty team, Gonzaga. Yeah, I'm looking right now at Lenardi's bracketology. Rusty Gonzaga is still going to whoop Mount St. Mary or NCA&T by 30 points. They yeah. could do that in their And then they'll get an 8-9. They could shoot left-handed and, and win that game by 20. Right. And if, if Mark Few thinks... I mean, the worst-case scenario here for Gonzaga is they get a positive test and they can't play, or it alters their roster and they have to, like, go forward with the tournament without a player. So... You, you just want to protect that at all costs, and you want to protect hurting a player at all costs. Like, I, I see the pros to it for them, because also they came back from a pause and beat Iowa by, like, 25 points, or maybe it ended up being right, yeah. that, but they were up huge and made everything they looked at in that game. Now, it was against Iowa, so... And it was at the Pentagon, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, so... Yeah, you know, everything easy falls. Rims. Everything's falling. Dream scenario. You you're, you might be on to... Like, if it was at the barn, then I'd give them a lot more credit. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> but against Iowa, neutral court with, with easy rims, maybe you could be overreacting to that a little bit. But yeah, I, I think that whole scenario is going to be kind of fascinating. I just want to quickly bring up my last one and done. For me, uh, the shot quality top 10 teams, just wanted to shout them out. They had a good article on their site today about... Uh, who the top 10 teams are, why they're ranked high, what they're good at. It kind of makes sense for the most part. Like you got Gonzaga, Baylor, one, two. Then Iowa is three. So another example of Iowa maybe looking better in some of these statistics and metrics, but I think that's just their offense is so yeah, good. Yeah, the offense is so good. The, the shot quality is not yeah. going to take as much into account of what their shortcomings are defensively. Right, like their adjusted defensive shot quality rank is 83rd percentile, then they're 100 percentile on offense. And basically all these top teams I'm looking at right now are like 98 percentile and then 100, or 98 and 98. They're just so good on offense that it offsets the D. So that's why it's it's tough with with Iowa because all these metrics are telling you maybe, oh, look at that team in, in the tournament. But we know that there's a history that you have to do it on both ends in the NCAA tournament, and that's why I've been worried about them. Number four, Creighton. Number five, Illinois. Tennessee is six, and that's a team that shot quality has always been high on and always been buying stock on. So take that for whatever you want. It just seems like they can't really knock down shots. They don't have a lot of shot makers. Yeah. What What do we think Creighton's potential is in the tournament? Because I feel like like they're sneaky riding up the the rankings here of teams that i think could get to the final four for sure with zegarowski fully healthy and just i mean i mean mitch ballack they can, yeah, they Jeffrey, can beat anyone got the way guys, they shoot and they've got some guys who play freaking hard yeah no I, I like them i think they're they're getting hot at the right time it's it's just tough because the only thing I worry about is the Big East, and maybe they're just sort of beating up on Big East teams, and that's a little misleading. But but beating they up on really Nova counts for something. Yeah, no, you're right. They yeah. have not done it. I don't think they've made it out of the first weekend in their tournament history. So, yeah, which is shocking. Yeah. Um, uh, I've, but ooh, no, I, I've got I something like for us. I've got something for us. This just came across the wire, hot oh, wow. off the press here. Nate Oates getting an extension at alabama through 2027 he's gonna make 3.2 million annually to coach alabama through 2027 and i think this just kind of falls further into what we've been saying all along the nba is the only threat i feel like to take nate oates out of alabama i really do i think it is getting to that point now smart move by bama there just lock him up yes he Mm -hmm. yeah he is i would say the hottest coaching candidate right now like, and if you ask the question, who will take over for the guard that's about to leave, who could be in that next guard? He's the first name that comes to mind for me. Uh, and obviously I'm referring to like all those Hall of Famers that are getting up there. Like that bet that we laid out on the last episode where you got Izzo, Beheim, Roy, Coach K, even Calipari's getting up there a little bit. Just to finish off the shot quality uh, rankings, Tennessee 6, Oklahoma 7, they've always been high. Michigan 8, Texas Tech 9, and Villanova 10. Loyola Chicago is also 11. So I think Loyola Chicago has real potential to get to the Sweet 16 and and make a run again this year. 
they're a very good team and it's offensively it's defensively I mean at times this year they've been the number one Ken Palm defensive team and I can't wait to see what Loyola does and of course they've got their the rabbit's foot we we need to do this before the tournament maybe we'll do it during champ week at, at some point but we need to identify who the rabbit's foot candidates are for yeah. every year there's some sort of moniker there's some sort of figurehead that leads these teams obviously Loyola sister Jean I think we got to find the rabbit's foot candidates for this year and kind of find the the sleeper Cinderella runs through that I'm down for that it's always one of those things where you're like wait why didn't I know about this when I was picking out my bracket like why didn't I know who sister Jean was when they were like when I was thinking during that final four run I remember I was watching that game was it Tennessee that they beat first or Miami and I'm thinking like ah oh, like I've got Loyola going kind of far. I think I had him going to the Elite Eight in my bracket that year yeah and because we liked myself that yeah year. we did and I'm thinking to myself like ah oh, who like every one of these sleeper Cinderella teams has some sort of little gimmick or some little little charm to them what is Loyola's I have no idea what Loyola's is yeah camera, camera <laughs> cuts sister Jean I'm like oh it's on it's on final yeah. four final bust four now bound. for the Ramblers. Yeah. All right. Uh, any more one and dones for you? Um. Oh, one last one I want to get to. Louisville should be banned from the tournament this year. I mean, yeah. Good this call. is absurd now because <laughs> the Cardinals have gone. They are now going to go on their third pause. Their third pause of the season. Listen. Well, they're not going on a pause, I don't think. But they missed out on a game again against Syracuse. It, and right now, of, as it stands, they're they're playing this weekend, so we'll so see. We'll see if that happens. If they do, if they are indeed going on this third pause here, th- something needs to be done. Someone has to intervene. I know the ACC is going to stick up for them because they want that extra tournament team in Louisville. The season were to end today is pretty comfortably a tournament team, but the Cardinals. They rise through the ranks when they go through these pauses, and they're robbing certain teams who probably need these wins in their own conference. You think of like the Clemsons, the Syracuse, some of these teams that are right on the bubble of getting into the tournament. They could really use some of these wins. North Carolina, they need these opportunities to play, and you're not getting them because you're, you're, I mean, Third, third time that a, there's a flare-up in your program is a red flag. Someone is ignoring right. protocol. Like, first time, it happens, all right? We get it. it. You should never blame someone necessarily for contracting COVID-19 because we you can act responsibly and still contract. But when it comes down to a third time where a flare-up is being caused within your own program, then something is going wrong. Something needs to be investigated at Louisville, and, and it's really a shame that that they are robbing some of these other ACC teams of potentially getting into the tournament, especially when the, the WCC may be pulling their big gimmick. And honestly, I think right. the, the <laughs> ACC would be the biggest losers in all of that. Yeah, the only part that I don't like is that they're being rewarded for it. They yes. went up 12 spots in the net from being on a pause, and it's just because all these other teams around them are losing games. And they're just sitting there, and some of their wins probably got a little bit better somehow. And like they were a bubble team when they went on a pause in early February. They have not played since. And you look at bracketology now. And when I say they were a bubble team, they were like a 10 seed, a 9 seed. Like they weren't Mm -hmm. outside the bubble, but or firmly on it. But they were being talked about in the range of 45 in the net, 40 in Ken Palm, like hovering around. If they fell off a little, they could be right smack dab in the middle of the bubble. And now, like, you look at the bracketologies, and they're mostly a seven seed, an eight seed, just because they've been sitting there. So it's kind of a bummer that that's how it ended up. And they're going to get Malik Williams back, and and then I think they could be a real force. Like, they deserve to be in the tournament. They're good enough. But getting there this way and being rewarded this much for it, it's like Ohio State in football all over again. I'm more incensed of the fact that they are – hurting other teams chances and yeah, essentially true. helping their own too by not losing games because as we've seen losing games it kind of feels like that hurts you more than certain wins do and when you're going weeks on weeks without losing the, I mean we're seeing it with their rise through the net we're seeing it with their rise through Ken Palm it, it's really astonishing that the the NCAA is not looking at this the ACC is not looking at this yeah 
They've got my Tar Heels this weekend if they end up playing that game. So that that's a big game for bubble implications for UNC and and even them because I think if they lose that game, which they might because they haven't played a game in a while, and there were reports that they might have been down a couple of players against Syracuse. Who knows what that means for UNC? But like if they lose that game, I hope the team. I thought Syracuse to fans they they were out there trying to accuse Chris Mack of like manipulating that game. Uh, yeah, of, like, I, I, getting that's it a canceled. Much, I, I think that's a little <laughs> much, but I love a passionate fan base like that. Sure. All right, let's get into our weekend picks here. Uh, update on the records at this point. You had another upset last week. Did it Ty. again, Props Tim? To you, you're rolling. What's that? Three, four weeks in a row. As I scroll back, five weeks in a row. I think you've had an upset. I, I just keep going up the page here. So you had LSU over Tennessee. I. <laughs> I picked Michigan State to beat Iowa, and they lost by 30. That was yeah, my The only upset. person there, that was upset there, was uh, Tom Izzo after that one. Right. The, there was uh, not a whole lot out there. I should have been looking at LSU. Uh, that was a good pick by you. Um, so right now I'm 31-27 and 27 on the year, 34 points overall because you get two points for an upset, one point for picking a game between two top 25 teams straight up. You are 34-25, and 25, 42 points on the year. So it's getting – Get to the point where I gotta start sort of running the tables on you here. Um to make I had it a couple I had a right logic wrong pick. I think we both had a right logic wrong pick in that West Virginia Oklahoma game. And then yeah. right logic wrong pick with the Drake Loyola series. I had Yeah, you tried to get cute and I, it backfired. I, I, I missed the order on it, but uh the, how about that second game too? I mean, what was that? It was what, 45 yeah, 45 at, at the end of the regulation? <laughs> I mean, like, the under was probably still hit by like 20, 30 points, and it went to overtime. How often yeah, Loyola that, huh? had 50 points in the second half of the first game, and then they ended with 50 points in the second game and lost after playing regular se- or uh, full regulation and then overtime. So they scored as many in the second 45 minutes, 45 minutes in the second game as they did in the last 20 minutes of the first game. Uh, all right, picks this week. There's really one outstanding game this week and then a couple other decent games. So we'll start with the decent games. We'll build up to what is the game that I think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably Some people are calling about, it the game. Yes, it's it, that's how it is sometimes referred to in football as well. But uh, Texas Tech, number 15 in the country, at number 23, Kansas. I feel like I've just whiffed on Kansas all year, and even Texas Tech for that matter. This is This is kind of a tough game to pick. I'll lean Texas Tech, I guess, on the road. I think they're a better team, but I worry because Kansas is at home, and I think Kansas is due for a win. And whenever I pick Kansas, they lose. So I'm going to say Texas Tech. That's how I am with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Atlanta Falcons. I feel like this is Steelers-Falcons that I'm picking right here. I'm I'm with you. I'm going to roll with the home team here, Kansas. I I think they might have a little bit of extra because you're going to have a little bit of that fog crowd in there as well. So let's roll with the home team here. Give me the Jayhawks. That's good. We're, we're on opposite sides. That's a plus for me to try and come back from an eight-point deficit here because um, I do think that one's kind of a toss-up. Another pretty much toss-up this week, West Virginia at number 12, Texas. Should note that this game, I mean, Texas all week has had games postponed because of the weather down there. Houston's had, to, like, a lot of those Texas schools just haven't played much, and I'm not – Overly confident that this game happens, but let's just assume it does. Let's pick it accordingly. I'll say that Texas gets a win. They're they're due for kind of another top 25 win. When these two teams met the first time in Morgantown, it was a crazy finish to the game, and West Virginia just kind of collapsed at the end. Uh, and I think West Virginia, I mean, it, it could go either way, but I'll, I'll take Texas because I feel like they're due for a win. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go the other side with you once again here. I'm going to take West Virginia. We've kind of seen a couple times where the team loses in their own home gym and then they exact revenge the next time out. And I think West Virginia has gotten better since that point in the season. And Texas, I think, I'm not going to say they've gotten worse, but they've kind of plateaued a little bit. And I know they've dealt with some pauses here and there and obviously game getting axed this week too. So we'll see if that game actually happens. But yeah, I'm going to roll with uh, the Mountaineers. All right, the big game of the weekend, Sunday, 1 p.m. I think it's CBS. It's kind of in their Gotta NFL yep. slot. Mm-hmm. This is I an guess. answer. Yeah. It, is there it, a big it, golf it, tournament it, on this weekend, or is this an answer? Yeah, it, it, there's, there is a big golf tournament, actually. It's uh, at Riviera, the Genesis, which is a, a great field. If, if you like golf, tune in. Um, but, no, I, I think this is 
maybe Ian Eagle and Bill Raftery. I, I don't know. We, we could guess the announcers all day long. But the fact of the matter is, whoever wins this game probably locks up a one seed. Number three, Michigan, at number four, Ohio State. Tough games to pick this week. This is I think all three one. of these. I, yeah. It, I don't have a pulse I'm really torn, on man. this one. It's one of those things where you feel like the hot streak has to end at some point on each side. Like Michigan has just, I mean, they came out of the, the pause, guns ablazing, and you just, you're not sure. Like, you feel like, okay, th- their luck has to run out at some point. But then you look to the other side with Ohio State, and I think you can say the same exact thing. The luck of not having a point guard and dealing with some injuries throughout the course of the season has to run out at some point. And it's like these dueling forces, but for opposite reasons. I'm going to roll with Michigan. I think they've been the better team all year long. And just the way that Hunter Dickinson plays as well, I think that's good enough for me to, to take him. So I'm, I'm going to take the the Wolverines in this one. All right, I was going to take Michigan, but I feel like I should go Ohio State. Ooh, that we're way we're three across on, the board, all right? Yeah, that way we're on the opposite side, all three. So this is a make-or-break week for me. I'm either dead to rights and we might as well just quit the game, or I might actually have a fighter's chance. And obviously the upset is important too. So do you have any upsets in mind over there? Because I know maybe I should just take your upset to keep pace with you because you're well, probably no going to hit fun. it at this point. I mean, that's no fun. <laughs> I might have to no, make I you won't go do first that. here. Um, no, but I mean, I feel like it's kind of slim pickings this weekend. I eyed Minnesota at the barn, but the barn has started to lose its luster a little bit. So I'm going to stay away from that one. I kind of like UConn taking down Nova. The James Booknight experience, I feel like he needs that one signature moment for this season. And I, th- this could be one of those where we look back and it's like, yep, UConn's attorney team. I'm going to roll with James Booknight taking down the Villanova Wildcats. Not UConn, just James Booknight. <laughs> All right, I am, I'm torn. I'm either going Barn or Cameron. I, I really think Duke might upset UVA, but I'm going to take, I think Minnesota's a safer pick. Uh, Illinois has been very close to losing a couple games against teams that they should be beating. Flying a little and this close is honestly, to the sun now, yeah. Yeah, this is honestly just a, a good team that really needs to win a bubble team in Minnesota, and they've been so good at home all year. They've not won a game outside the barn all year. It's getting to the point where I don't know if they're going to be able to make the tournament if that holds uh, the rest of the season, but I'll take them. I do think you, you might be onto something there with UConn. So what's going to happen here is you're probably going to go 4-0, and hit your upset, and I'll be dead to rights after uh, missing on all. Because I went the opposite side of you on basically every game here. So yeah, it'll the, be interesting to track. In how fairness, the 1-2 gap has been closing across college basketball. So that is your saving grace yeah. right now as, as we enter the final stretch. Right. That might be the title to this podcast. 1-2 gap continues to close. Mm-hmm. Um, and Io versus Luca or something like that. But all right, that is going to wrap up our week. Enjoy that big game on Sunday. We'll we'll maybe be tweeting a little bit from at May for March. Follow us there. We'll have on all our Twitter. picks there. Yep. Yep. Our, well, our weekend winners always go out there. So enjoy that game. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you guys on Monday. The game was over.